0: Hey, this is Melvin. We're actually on break from the Selling the Couch podcast, but I thought it would be fun just to share some of the most popular episodes as well as some of my most favorite episodes from uh, Selling the Couch. we have had over 200 episodes now, and I know that for me, listening to some of these old episodes, I always pick up something and learn something new. So I hope that you enjoy today's session. Before we do get to today's session, I just wanted you to Encourage you to check out the selling the couch directory if you haven't had a chance. Uh, basically, the directory makes it easier for us to connect and support one another as we grow our businesses. So after you register and you sign up, you get a, you can create a profile that lets us know more about your practice, the good work that you're doing in the world, uh, the unique niches that you serve, niches beyond just a traditional DSM diagnosis, uh, groups and workshops and retreats and areas of consultation, all of those different things. And after you fill that out, um, it's actually way uh, easier than it sounds. But uh, after you fill it out, your practice gets placed on a Google map. That way, fellow Couchies can find you in order to cross-refer clients. If they need a consult on a certain area, they can do that as well. Um, one of the things that we actually have been working on that I, I'm just like really excited about um, with this recent update is we created a custom cross-refer tool. Um So if you look on any of these online communities, a lot of times you'll see, you know, hey, I'm looking for, you know, a clinician that that lives in this area, that accepts this insurance, that, you know, works with millennials. And so we thought, why not just make it easy and create a tool to do this? So you basically can run just some filters so you can, you know, ask questions like that and you click just a, a number of different things and you get search results um, and it makes the process of just cross-referring a lot easier. You can learn more about the directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory and please enter the promo code podcast for your first month absolutely free. We'll get right to today's session. Here we go. <music> Hello, hello. Welcome to session 138 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are one week, well, I guess a little over a week from Halloween. Halloween is actually uh, a holiday that I like just because of... Well, actually, let me tell you guys a little backstory. So we happened to You know, we've lived in the current house we lived in for a couple of years now, and our neighborhood, like, loves Halloween. (laughs) I mean, like, there are folks dressed up, like... Waiting outside giving candy. There are tables set up with hot chocolate and like fun drinks and stuff. So as you're like trick or treating and going down the street, there's just amazing. There's like people with campfires and it's just, it's such a cool holiday. And I love like being part of this neighborhood. So I hope that you have something similar in the neighborhood. I don't know. I feel like that sense of connection that's getting lost in a lot of neighborhoods, and I'm just so fortunate to be in a neighborhood where it still has that. Today's podcast session is actually a topic that I know that many of us have wanted to do, which is actually take our clinical expertise and knowledge and actually turn that into some sort of a digital product, whether that is a book or launching a course or doing trainings, something that expands beyond the therapy room. Deborah Roberts is my guest and Deborah is a licensed clinical social worker in private practice and over the course of my gosh, over twenty years of being in private practice, she realized that she was doing some pretty unique things in the clinical room. Clients were having lots of success. There were colleagues calling her and being like, "What are you doing with these clients? are doing, I mean, they're just doing amazingly well." And f- initially, when Deborah heard that, she was like, "I don't know. Are these people just like..." you know, these colleagues just calling, you know, everyone and saying they're doing awesome. But over time, she realized, my gosh, I must be doing something. And she had just the courage to write a book about what she was doing. And then now launch a course and do trainings and do webinars and all sorts of things. And today's podcast is actually just conversations about Deborah's journey. What she's learned, how she learned to own her strengths, how she overcame her insecurities, as well as some of the really practical things like naming a, a naming a thing that you're thinking about top creating, whether it's a book a workshop course, um, how she came up with the name for hers. And then we also just taught wrap up talking a little bit about webinars and some of the things that she's done in terms of webinars and what's converted and, and sort of what tools she uses to do webinars with. Before we get to today's podcast session, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the folks over at Theranest for supporting today's podcast session. If you guys are looking at electronic health records and tired of doing the good old-fashioned way, I encourage you to check out Theranest. Theranest is a company that works with mental health providers. They're trusted by thousands of our colleagues for effective electronic health records. You can find more information over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Theranest. And there's a discount code there for you guys. So we'll get right to today's podcast conversation. Here is my conversation with Deborah Roberts from therelationshipprotocol.com. Hi, Deborah, Welcome to Selling the Couch.
1: Hi, Melvin. I'm so happy to be here.
0: I'm so excited that we actually get to do a podcast conversation. And uh I feel like we get to talk about a topic that I know many of us have dreams of mm. expanding beyond the counseling room, and you've done it and just excited to hear all about it. I'm
1: happy to talk about it too.
0: No, I'm uh, grateful that you are. I I often think like, When we're in the throes of a practice, like it's really easy to forget that all of us have unique experiences, unique trainings, whether that's like trainings we've been to or whether it's like practicum or, you know, client experiences, all of those things, right? But I don't know for me, this is something I've always struggled with. And I feel like when I've talked to other clinicians, they struggle with this as well. So they realize they have unique experiences and trainings, but there's some disconnect where they feel like, but I could never like teach this or, you know, like mm-hmm. use this to like help others in a much bigger way. How in the world were you able to step back and say, Hey, you know what? I've got this wealth of knowledge and I can <laughs> help other people.
1: Well, let me start by saying you're giving me way too much credit, (laughs) (laughs) like way too much credit. It took me a very long time to make that connection, and I don't know if the word is disconnect as much as I think for me, like most people, I'm in my office and the four walls of my office just doing my job, doing my work, loving what I'm doing, and feeling good about it, seeing that I'm getting good results and good feedback from my clients, from my colleagues. And I will tell you that for no exaggeration, and I even mentioned this in the introduction to the book, for about 20 years of working with relationships and teaching people how to talk to each other and how to have healthier relationships, it just came so naturally to me. And the results really were remarkable because it's just logical and practical if you teach people common sense skills for how to be a better partner, a better parent, better boss, that their life is going to function differently, so getting good results just you know seemed like oh okay, i 'm doing a good job, but what started to happen was, and it took many, many years. I started actually listening one day. it was like a light bulb went off, and I heard that I realized i'd been hearing the same things from clients and from colleagues, well-respected colleagues saying, wow, this is different. Clients would say to me, I love these tools you're giving us. They're so flexible and and they're easy to use. And it makes sense. Or colleagues were saying to me for, again, years and a bunch of them, we just referred, you know, Mrs. So-and-so to you and, you know, you're getting these great results. What are you doing in your office? And if one more person said to me, what are you doing in your office that it finally took, it was almost like getting, you know, bonked on the head, I thought, huh, maybe I am doing something different. Because it comes, I think, for most of us that do good work, we're in this because we care, because we have a passion about what we're doing. So we assume that everybody's doing what we're doing. And that's where the disconnect came for me. And I think that's where it comes for many people. I actually called back, my colleagues, I knew who they were. I called them all up and I said, do you call everyone and say, oh, you're doing great work. Thanks for (laughs) keeping it up. And they were all like, are you crazy? Like, do you think I just make that phone call? And I remember coming home one day and saying to my husband, I think I'm doing something different than everybody else. Hmm. And that was the start. That really was the start. So my suggestion, if you're asking for a suggestion in that, is If you love what you do, if you're getting great results and you feel really good about it, just take a moment and take that step back. Don't wait 20 years. (laughs) Don't wait as long as I did Mm -hmm. to realize that sometimes we do have more to offer to more people that could benefit from what we are doing and the changes that we are bringing to our practice, to our clients, to, to the world, really. It's exciting to think beyond the four walls.
0: Yeah, no, I love the way that you're describing it. So you said just so many good things there. <laughs> you said a big key part of this was the ability to take a step back, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess in those in that twenty years, we'll use that, right? So <laughs> when, when I guess maybe nineteen and a half, I don't know. So uh,
1: when, <laughs> I don't want to tell you it's more than twenty, but <laughs> 20,
0: 20. <laughs> you know what? I mean, I've told others this with this podcast. It was you know almost. From idea, it was definitely months, not, you know, I mean, I think so many of us struggle with this, like, a, we- re- It's a
1: confidence thing too, for sure. And I'm basically a private person, that should be noted. I'm basically someone who, I never advertised my private practice. It was all word of mouth. It was just me. It's my comfort level. And so I, I understand in some ways why it took me so long to get to the party.
0: Yeah, there had to, I guess you're right. Like, there has to be this almost, like- Internal growth, or something like ability to accept this new opportunity. I don't know if that's the right way to say it.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think ability also it is the right way to say it. And it's it is a personal connection with yourself to mm-hmm. be able to say what I'm doing is good. I can make a difference, and I can maybe expand on this. And it's not an ego thing. It's not you know puffing yourself up. It really is looking at what you're doing and seeing if it's different than what other people are doing. And if you're getting good results, you know, maybe you can go further with it.
0: I'm so glad you talked about the ego thing, because I think that's probably the other side that many of us struggle with, which is mm-hmm. we do have this knowledge. And what if now, you know, other people see me as, you know, my colleagues see me as arrogant or, you know, like...
1: Totally. Or what if they don't like what I'm doing? Yeah.
0: Right there's a different level of judgment i think that can come with it.
1: Yes, in addition to being, you know, private i'm was extremely thin skinned when i started this process too and i really prepared myself that you know some people may not like what i'm doing and i have to accept that. I have to be able to feel good about what i'm putting out in the event that someone doesn't like it and tells me that they don't like it or publicly says that they don't like it. You have to figure out a way of how to process that and keep moving forward and not personalizing it.
0: I forgot I'm probably going to like butcher this quote, but I heard recently like that if you put something out into the world and everyone's telling you like how awesome it is, then you're doing something wrong. And I just mm-hmm. thought, what a weird like way of twisting it, but then I took a step back and I was like, that's so true, you know.
1: Well, you don't want people to just fan you and tell you that you're fabulous if there are holes in the information or the manner in which you're speaking to people. I've been humbled by this process, and mine has been, I guess, what you'd call a slow burn, which has been helpful for me in terms of how things have evolved.
0: You said when you first started in this process, you had a a thin skin. Mm -hmm. I feel like many of us do, uh, just because I feel like this, in some ways, I I feel like thin skin and being a caring helper Mm -hmm. sometimes goes hand in hand. For you, how did you develop like a thicker skin?
1: Such a good question. Part of my process, to be honest, was trying to understand where it came from and what it means to me for people to like what I'm doing or not like what I'm doing. And I think it, it's a moment for personal growth to really look at our reasons. There are very intimate reasons as to why we're all thin-skinned, whether it's from something in your history, something about your appearance, something about not wanting people to like you or love you or adore you. You know, for me, there was a time that I didn't even realize the impact it had. If I, you want me to really go there, mm. I'm an EMDR therapist, and I knew that my reaction to being out in the public felt a little irrational, mm. <laughs> you know, that I really was shy about it, but in a way that just almost felt like it was more than it should have been. Mm. And I went and spoke with a colleague who's also an EMDR therapist, and we talked about history. Or And it was a small event that happened, a bullying event that I encountered at a young age that impacted me to make me want to feel more shut down in some ways rather than put myself out there. And so when I realized what it was and I worked it through a little bit, that helped me to realize that the adult in me is quite capable and, you know, I can move forward and be better and work toward understanding myself and being kind to myself, not judging myself.
0: I feel like it's just such a good point because I feel like so many of us are wounded healers, you know. Mm-hmm. And especially, I think, in this process, I don't know, I feel like I think I've mentioned this multiple times in episodes, but like there's nothing like starting a small business and being a practice to bring up our insecurities, that's our stuff, true. you know.
1: Yeah, it's true because there's a mirror that's facing you every day, whether it's feedback from someone or, you know, everything you put out has to reflect who you are mm-hmm. and your essence. So just of note, when I first started, I hired someone to help me with social media. I didn't even want to be on social media. Mm -hmm. It was just not something I was comfortable with or wanted to do. I'd never been on. And I realized through convincing I had to, and I hired someone to do it for me. And one of my Sons called me up one day and he said, "What are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> like this just does not reflect you at all, at all." And I said, "Yeah, but you know, at least there's something out there." He said, "No, that's not how social media works." Mm-hmm. You know this because I was chicken. I wasn't comfortable. So you know, we have to kind of slowly go over the different thresholds and face our fears and figure out. And that's why I said it's been a slow growth for me but it's there and i'm proud of the process and really allowing the personal growth to come in and stepping through the fear it's important to do that and and it's a good feeling when you do it
0: yeah and i think that's the thing like i think you only recognize that first step much later mm-hmm. but i think so many of us like we hit that first bump in the road and we're just like this feels too big
1: well that's the entrepreneurial spirit you know those of us that plow through And all the people listening, use that as your motivation that, you know what, there are, expect the bumps. Some are going to be small, some are going to feel much more potent, but just take a moment, figure out how to tackle them. You can do it if you break it down and you know, just take the next step, dip your toe in it. You don't have to dive in. I dipped toes. <laughs> yeah, I was You're talking to the chicken here. I'm telling you.
0: <laughs> I still resonate with that as well. <laughs> don't you worry about it. So you said uh, your son called you up and it was like, Bob, what are you doing?
1: What are you doing? Uh, so
0: he said, that's not the way to be on social media. So like, what's the next sentence of that? Like, what are you supposed to do? Because the only reason I asked this is I feel like teens, preteens, college, young adults are some of the best people to learn about how to interact on social media with, you know?
1: Yes. I'm still not completely comfortable in terms of, or it doesn't come as naturally to me, a lot of the posting. But at the time, I'm a positive person. My book, The Relationship Protocol is positive. My messaging is positive. And the types of posts that this person was doing, and he really believed they were good posts. He wasn't trying to you know, do something that I wouldn't like, we argued about it because he, this gentleman thought that they represented my brand. Mm. And he was writing things like, Taylor Swift, your boyfriends, you know, look out, your boyfriends are going to read the relationship protocol. They're not going to put up with your stuff anymore. Mm. You know, that kind of stuff. Mm. It all had an angle, like kind of a sarcastic twist. And I'm not sarcastic at all. Mm. Like, I'm, you know, I'm pretty direct and straightforward. Or they were just references that I just wouldn't make. And it wasn't bad, but it wasn't me. And I think for me, what was important was that whatever you put out has to reflect your voice and your messaging and being consistent with your brand and not banging somebody over the head with what you're doing. Hmm. You know, I've never considered myself a salesperson, yet I'm now online doing things and essentially selling, which feels weird to me to even say it. But if it resonates with you, what you're doing, that's what you put out there. And I'll say one more thing. Recently, my husband had never looked at my, the relationship protocol Facebook page for whatever reason, he's not on Facebook. It's, you know, not interested in social media. And I said to him, would you just look at this page and tell me if you think that the way that I post reflects who I am. And this is two years later Hmm. and he really liked it. And that meant something to me Hmm. that, you know what I mean? So sometimes checking with people that you trust that it's being received in the way that you intend it is a good way to get that reflected back to you and and to help build your confidence doing this.
0: Yeah, no, I I love that practical tip because I think a lot of times we can be in the throes of social media and almost lose our identity because, you know, someone is telling us to do it this way or that Mm -hmm. way.
1: Yes, exactly. And that's what was happening. I was kind of being pushed by someone who was a social media expert, but maybe in a corporation, not for me and what I'm trying to put out into the world, which is positive messaging, and the messaging was not, you know, comfortable for me. And that's the key. It wasn't comfortable for me, but I felt that's what I should be doing because I should be doing social media. What I should have been doing is listening to myself and realizing it wasn't comfortable for me. And that was much more important. That should have been more important to me. Then it shouldn't have taken my son saying to me, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I've yeah. been listening to myself. Right.
0: So I guess at a feeling, at a gut level, what feels authentic to you and then presenting that authentic self on social media as opposed to the other way around, posting something on social media and then, you know. 100%. You mentioned this earlier. So you've developed the relationship protocol, which is you wrote a book. I wanted to ask you just about even a step back, which is I feel like many of us struggle with naming things, right? Whether it is a book, a workshop we offer, Mm-hmm. A group that we're going to offer, anything like that. You had someone that helped you with, with that naming process. right? And how, when you heard the word or words, relationship protocol, what about it just spoke to you? And how did you decide that that's what I'm going to call it?
1: I struggled with what I was going to call this product. I didn't even know at the time if it was a book or an article or a model. I wasn't sure what it was going to be. When I first started this whole process, I wasn't goal-oriented or outcome-oriented because I really had no idea where I was going. I just started to write And I connected with this man who was a marketing person. He was brilliant. And in the course of a conversation, he said to me, so what are you going to do with all this? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, what is it? And I said, well, it's about communication and people learning how to have healthier relationships. And it's just very straightforward and easy to understand. And he said, so it's about relationships. And what is it? I said, well, it's a model. And he said, so it's a protocol. I mean, it was like boom, boom. Whereas I don't want to tell you how long I'd been thinking, what can I call this two people? You know, like, and as soon as he said it, it was logical. He said, what are you doing? Who is the population? And he put it together so quickly and so simply. And as soon as he said it, it was definitely an aha moment that, you know, like I mentioned before, it resonated. And when it feels good, because once you come up with a name that is particularly a product or your company name, you're married to that. Mm. And we're not married to a lot of things. We can change certain things, but if that's what you're putting out and you're building on that and you want to build your empire or whatever it is based on that name, the name of your private practice or a product or a course, that has to reflect you in some way and how you are going to, when you look at a logo, it has to feel good. He showed me dozens of logos and I rejected them because I knew when I was standing somewhere and my logo was next to me, I want to be able to look at it and say, I like that. That's going to grow with me. That's not going to be something that's going to you know, make me say, oh, why did I do that?
0: Yeah. You wanted to be proud of what you had created and then what you're carrying forward?
1: 100%. So let it reflect what you're doing and let it also visually feel good feel comfortable and and to your point definitely want to feel proud of it 100% such a good point
0: i think another thing that you're saying in this is sometimes for and i know i feel like a lot of us struggle with this that we're very heady and we're thinkers and so a lot of times we like stay in our <laughs> thoughts and analyze names and come up with you know all different things and it sounds like maybe just at a practical or wisdom level is Taking a step back and relying on people that like know us, like love us and care about us Mm -hmm. and sharing it with them or sharing sort of what their thoughts are, even if they have other names, things like that.
1: And also not necessarily people in your industry. Yes, talk to colleagues.
0: Why is that important, you think?
1: Because I think that they know you, they know the essence of who you are and what you're trying to get across. And I think the words that they may use may be different than industry words. So they may be softer, they may be more informal, and they may be something that would appeal more to consumers if that's who you're looking to appeal to. If you're looking to appeal to colleagues or other professionals, then that might be the route to go. But don't exclude the people that are in your inner circle, who know you best and know what you're trying to accomplish. I, th- I think any kind of brainstorming with everybody is really the best. I tend to take a community vote <laughs> with certain things that are important to me. I don't want to just put something out and then say, oh, what was I thinking?
0: I wanted to ex- explore the other side of that, which is, you know, some of us can get this idea and we like lock it up, like throw away the key Mm -hmm. and don't share with anyone because we're scared. It's Mm going to be taken. We're going to, you know, like we're, I don't know that now that I've put it out in the world, now that means I actually have to do it. Right. Mm. So did you struggle with any of that? Or if so, like, how did you kind of work through that?
1: You know, I did because it felt like a commitment. It felt like once I take this step, you know, either the world is going to come knocking at my door or, you know, I'm going to have to do X, Y, and Z. And I think the reality is that unless you pick a name and get your logo and your brand and get started. And unless you hire a publicist or somehow you end up on the Ellen DeGeneres show or the Oprah show, for the most part, things don't happen quickly. Mm -hmm. For the most part, it does require time and effort and people starting to hear about you gradually and learning about what you're doing and supporting you. So dip your toe in, you know, as I like to say, just it's not as big a leap as it feels and have some confidence because if you are doing good things and you're getting good feedback then chances are others will respond in the same way. Yeah, I love
0: that. As you thought about sharing the relationship protocol beyond the counseling room and sharing it with others. I feel like for all there's so many options you can do this, right? Like there mm-hmm. are you can do trainings, you can do books, you can do courses, all sorts of stuff. Right. What made you decide on a book and a course?
1: Well, and I also do trainings, by the way. Oh, I didn't
0: realize that. Yeah. So I guess what kind of made you decide on all three of those?
1: Well, the book evolved. The book was the first thing that happened, and it really evolved to be a book. I didn't know if I was writing an article. I used to say I'm writing a 10-page anonymous download. (laughs) That's how private I was, just so you know. I didn't want to put my picture on the book. So anybody that's hesitant to really get involved in making a commitment to the process of building a business, trust me, I've been there. And when you take that leap, it helps. What I did in this situation was once I realized I was writing a book, the book does a lot of times become your ticket and your entrance to giving you credibility to talk about uh, your product and uh, whatever material is in there. So that can become what you talk about when you go out and you do trainings or speaking engagements. I also felt that I wanted to look at the trends and the times and Technology tells us that we can reach more people now by building online courses or doing webinars. You could never do that before. I feel blessed that I am a part of a time where, though at times technology is not my friend, I think that... To be able to do an online course and genuinely reach more people, help people to get continuing ed credits or teach the teachers or also do a course for the general population and the consumer and reach consumers. When we can take advantage of technology to our benefit, that's really how this started. And by the way, I didn't know anybody that had done an online course or a webinar or even written a book. So I've been kind of this solo player. So joining these Facebook groups has just been a blessing for me and, and so helpful to not yeah. feel alone in this process.
0: Yeah, no, I feel like, I mean, the whole private practice journey, I think the other side of that is how isolating it can it can feel. So yes. you started with the book, which makes logical sense. What made you evolve from the the book to the course and the training?
1: It felt like the next logical step. I had colleagues asking me, how do I use the relationship protocol model in sessions? Mm. So I did a local training. I actually tested the waters. I reached out to colleagues that I knew and I asked them to invite other people that they knew. So it was kind of a safe environment. It wasn't out to the general public per se or the, you know, the general group of colleagues. And I had about 50 people and I offered a conference. I did a training for an entire day. And looked at the feedback. And at the end of it, I said to them, was this new material for you? Because understand, Melvin, I was still of the mindset, doesn't everybody do what I do? Mm. So I really expected at the end of this training that some of these people who most I knew and all of whom I respected... I expected most of them to say to me, hey, thanks, that was great, but like, duh, you know, that's what we do too, you know, and that isn't what happened. In fact, every one of them came up to me and said, you know, this is terrific. I can't wait to use it in my practice. I can't wait to tell my clients about it. And even to this day, that was a couple of years ago, they still come up to me and say, the same. I'm still using your stuff. So that gave me the impetus to say, now I have the confidence to realize that more people can benefit from this and I can reach more people going online and offering something that is technology-based, technology-driven. And I think it's, I don't want to say foolish because I don't mean that in a judgmental way, but it would have felt foolish for me to not take advantage of something that's right in front of us that I don't have to know the technology. I just have to know how to figure out how to find the people that do. I just have to know the product.
0: Right. Absolutely. I I don't have to
1: know marketing. I don't know marketing. And I'm still kind of, uh, you know, iffy about social media. But hire people that know this stuff.
0: Yeah, I think this is like one thing I've learned with STC and just even these other conversations is, you know, as soon as possible, delegate and hire out, but really work in your strengths and don't try mm-hmm. to do like for example, as much as I would love to learn web design, I'm probably not gonna, you know. Yes. So
1: it's just exactly
0: smart to delegate out.
1: And the other part of this, Melvin, and I know you must have experienced this, is this process can be very intimidating. Mm there are so many different aspects. And in terms of webinars, the technology that's involved in doing a webinar, it's different than any other technology. It's a very specific technology. It would be very easy for someone to say, I'm not getting involved in that. You know, My, you know, my husband's great at technology, but and he can't even do that and he'd have to learn that. Well, mm. that's true, but don't let that be the barrier at least exploring it to see if you can find people to help you in the different areas because if you have something good to offer the world then the world needs to hear it and if that's you know if you're compelled don't let that be the reason that stops you or the confidence feeling intimidated because take it slowly you can get where you need to go just at a slower pace but don't let that you know again be your barrier to success because that would be sad then we would miss out on something that may be so terrific.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the webinar. I actually wanted to ask about that because sure, you, did, you chose the platform of the webinar, and you and I both are Amy Porterfield's webinars.
1: At- Amy Porterfield.
0: <laughs> We're in a, you know her webinars that convert course, and uh, yes, gosh, I've done probably close to fifty webinars now, and wow. I remember exactly what you described like. I thought the potential for this platform a webinar is so cool because like think about doing a workshop from home, right? Essentially. But you could meet mm-hmm. people all around the world.
1: Right? That's right. You could
0: do this from home. So you don't have to worry about like renting out places and printing out stuff and all that stuff. Right. So but you're right. Like I feel like webinars in general are new. Mm-hmm. And I was so intimidated by the technology. And I'll even give you like a practical example. I remember Early, actually it wasn't even early on. It was probably like somewhere in like the twenties, you know, when I, my twentieth some odd webinar and I gave the wrong link out. And for some reason, like my early emails had an old link and the newer emails had the new webinar link. And so when the webinar started, I had like half my people going to the old webinar link and the other half going to the new one. And I just remember like, and this is like happening in the moment, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. I'm having a scramble, like, okay, what do I do? So then I finally make the decision. Okay, I'm just going to send one email to everybody and say, here's the link. I'm Mm -hmm. so sorry. This is what happened, right? How for you, like you do webinars as well. So how did you decide on that?
1: I haven't done as many as you've had, by the way, but I have definitely done them. I decided on it because I was trying to figure out, to your point, how do I get this out there without me traveling around the country every week? Mm-hmm. And how do I reach more people? And I started seeing Amy Porterfield and other ads for doing webinars and bringing your business and building a list and learning all this stuff that so, was so foreign to me at the time. And I did go, not go, I, I watched a few webinars myself and I thought this doesn't look very difficult. I could see myself doing this. I like talking about my product, I, my course, My at the, well at the time it wasn't a course. You know, I, I believe in the relationship protocol model. I believe in what I'm doing and I could see myself doing what I'm watching. And that turned me on. That got me excited to say, let me see what's involved in doing this. And I explored it and realized I can do this. You know, she teaches you how to do the technology and tells you which technology to use. And I think she simplifies it, you know, but it was still complicated for me. So Mm I hired people to do all of the things that I don't want to learn how to do. I don't have time to learn how to do. And, you know, quite frankly, that isn't where I want to put my energy. So that's how it started. I did some exploration. I saw what connected for me. And and there are different teaching styles. She's not the only one out there. But, you know, for I think you and I agree that for us, it it resonated with us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just offhand, like what like webinar platform are you using? I know that I use Zoom. So
1: I've been using Easy Webinar.
0: Yeah, Easy Webinar is another common one as well.
1: Mm-hmm. A lot of people use GoTo Webinar, but I, at the time I found it expensive. You mm-hmm. know, it costs a little bit more money, but the reliability factor is good. And the person that I was using as my virtual assistant, which is a word that I had never heard of before getting into <laughs> this world, you know, she was big on Easy Webinar, so that was how. And now I have automated webinars on Ever Webinar. So now I have what they call an automated sales funnel, hmm. you know, the whole language.
0: <laughs> it's just fascinating, right as a clinician like yes. in that world, right?
1: Yes, it is, but again, you learn it as you go along and don't look at it as everything happening at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Do one piece at a time and it grows and builds and just start small. Pick one area that you're interested in and whether it's a webinar or doing a download to build an email list or, you know, whatever it is. There's so many insertion points in the online industry and just there's so many insertion points for stepping outside of the four walls of your office, whether it's a book or a course or speaking, you know, getting on a speaker circuit. It's it's all good and it's all exciting.
0: So like two things I hear as we wrap up. So one is just pick one and don't try to do 10 things at a time. And then the other thing is don't worry about getting it perfect. Just get started.
1: Yes, 100%. And follow your passion, follow your dream. If you're doing good work, perhaps others could benefit from hearing about it too. What a great concept.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and what a great gift we give to the world, right? I think so. Deborah I wanted to wrap up kind of with a, a spontaneous question which is uh, what's something really cool that's happened as a result of launching the relationship protocol book the course the training that you would have never expected like in those early stages where you are like where you had you know clients and colleagues calling you and saying like what are you doing
1: Well actually I would say what happened last night and that I tolerated it (laughs) was, if you remember, I didn't even want to put my name or my picture on my book because I wanted to kind of keep it as a 10-page download. And I grew from that person who has been shy and quiet and private to someone who last night I did a taping for, I guess I could say WCBS radio. And I went in there feeling like, okay, I can do this. And because I like radio, I like voice stuff or that media. And when I got there, they said, uh, by the way, we're videotaping this for <laughs> the YouTube channel. And my jaw dropped to the floor. And I thought, can I leave now? You know, this is not it's comfortable for me. I didn't sign up for this part. And But I didn't. I took a deep breath and I said, okay. You can do this and, you know, just put your insecurities or your nerves aside. And, you know, this has been the most helpful thing I think that I would love to share. When I look at this work as being more on a mission to spread the word about whatever it is I'm trying to get out into the world, in my case, it's the relationship protocol and helping people see that communicating isn't so complicated, whether it's professionals or individuals. And so I, become the messenger. So when I'm sitting there speaking to them for a radio show and even being videotaped, I try to get out of that it's me and more that I'm here to do a job to spread the word about something that I believe in. And when I'm the messenger, it feels a little less threatening and a little less intimidating. And that I never would have thought I would have reached that point. And I'm proud of myself for having reached it. Still a little nerve wracking, but trying to push through. So that was cool.
0: That is, I mean, it's such a different way of looking at it, right? Like we're the messengers. And I feel like in many ways that sort of resonates with the spirit of who many of us are as clinicians.
1: Yes, 100%. So many good clinicians out there doing such great work. Proud to be part of the profession.
0: Absolutely. Deborah, where can we learn more about you and about the good work that you're doing in the world?
1: I have a website, therelationshipprotocol.com. It's the easiest way to connect, can learn about the model and the book. And right on that website, there's a link for professionals, which leads you to my other website called mycommunicationtools.com. And on there, there's a blog with, I think, really good information for about relationships and communication. There is a webinar on there, a free webinar, and also my course, Simple Tools for Effective Relationship Work is there, and you can get five continuing ed credits for taking the course. That's the best place, therelationshipprotocol.com, and my book is on Amazon, and and I appreciate so much being on the show and being able to talk about, about the work.
0: No, you're so welcome. I am really am so grateful for you. Full that uh, we actually connected because Karen <laughs> Newland, who does Facebook ads for both of us, connected. That's
1: right. Shout, shout out, out to Karen. Yeah,
0: shout out to Karen. <laughs> but it's amazing. Like we truly live in this
1: day and age where
0: these connections can happen. You know.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely um, got to be open.
0: Yeah. Again, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Deborah, And more than anything, I hope that it's given you some inspiration in terms of owning the strengths and owning the experiences that we all have as clinicians. And I hope that it gives you some just encouragement and motivation to keep pushing forward. With STC, when I first started, I just remember feeling so much fear and insecurity. And even as I you know, create new things both with STC and in private practice. It's not that the fears ever go away. I think, in some ways, I've kind of realized that they're a constant companion, but they're also sometimes an indicator that we need to take that next step. I love the the message that Deborah talks about because this is something I have found the same with STC. Is that when you focus on a larger mission, it doesn't mean that. The hard days of launching an online product or creating a book or any of those, those go away, but it helps you to see everything in sort of a much bigger picture and in a a different context. Show notes to today's episode can be found over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 138. And as we wrap up again, I just wanted to thank the folks over at Their Nest for being awesome supporters of the Selling the Couch podcast. If you guys are looking for electronic health records, definitely check them out. They actually had reached out to me recently because they just wanted to support the work that we all do as clinicians and they asked, you know, what, what they could create for us. And they, and I said, you know, a lot of us are struggling with, uh, just having like handouts, like anger management and stuff like that for sessions. And, uh, they actually created some awesome handouts for us and they're absolutely free to download. And they're just for our listeners. You guys can find that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash TN. So TN as in Theranest, TN worksheets. So again, sellingthecouch.com forward slash TN worksheets. And there's no opt-in or anything like that. Have a wonderful rest of your day and uh, I will see you next time. Take good care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. Hey there, hope you enjoyed today's podcast session, and especially if this is your second time listening to this podcast session, I hope that you've picked up just a a new level of insight and something that helps you on your private practice journey. As I mentioned at the beginning, we'll be back with new episodes very soon. And before we wrap up again, just wanted to encourage you to check out the Selling the Couch directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Um, I actually wanted to use this time just to talk a little bit more about not just the director, but what we're doing and what my big vision for STC is. You know, as Selling the Couch grows, uh, what really weighs on me is How do we use um, our influence and how do we use the resources? And for me, how do I steward well um, all of what I'm creating? And so we're actually taking 50% of the profits from directory sales to create a scholarship fund for kids who have been rescued from brothels in the commercial sex trade. Um, When I was a grad student, I um, was very fortunate to Work three weeks in Bombay, India with a NGO and with social workers in Kamatipura, which is the largest concentrated red light district in the world. Um, it's the largest red light district in Asia. And, uh, I spent three weeks there, um, spent, uh, a day right in the heart of the center of the red light district, um, going into brothels. With um, with with the social workers um, doing lots of education on everything from HIV/AIDS um, all the way to uh, trying to figure out what what some of these workers the challenges they were facing and I spent the majority of my time about five hours away um, helping at a school where the kids of these workers um, were were and uh, just to teaching different classes, uh, getting to spend time with them, reading bedtime stories to the little ones. And, f- uh, ever since all of that happened, I just have always felt like, man, if I ever get the chance to do some big things in the world, I want to make sure that, uh, everything I create uh, leads to something way bigger than me. And so, um, and fortunately selling the couch happened and now the STC directory is happening. And so this is where, uh, I'm hoping that, you know, we can dedicate our time and our resources, and I really have some big plans as we go forward with this. Again, you can learn more about the Selling the Couch directory over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Be sure to enter the promo code podcast to get your first month absolutely free. Have a great rest of your day, and uh, I will see you next time.